this is not a joke. We're not being cute. Battle buddies is a real thing. Zach and I are battle buddies. <laughs> it, it is. He's my battle. Um, you're my battle. Welcome back to Angry Upvote. We're glad to be back after a little bit of a hiatus in that period of time. Uh, I have had a child, and Taylor has had the great privilege of trading a home from east of the Rocky Mountains for one west of the Rocky Mountains. Uh, the rest of America only happened so that we in the West could happen, and we thank them for their sacrifice. How do you feel living on the correct side of uh, that dividing line? I, I, I don't know how I feel about the shade you're throwing at the South right now. I, I don't know. I moved from Texas to Washington State. So some would say I've moved from the real America to coastal elite America. I mean, it's funny how that changes, right? I'm at the same job. But now I'm back to being a coastal elite again. All right. It's really something. Um, <laughs> and I, I left just in time for uh, to experience the crushing defeat of Beto O'Rourke from a distance. So that was a bit of a bummer. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you got out while the getting was good, I guess. Um, yeah, no. And yeah, full disclosure, I am a resident of the, the Beehive State, the great state of Utah, so I'm all about this uh, Mountain America, Mountain America uh, Intermountain West life here. It's all great. Uh, you know, skiing's great. Uh, water shortages, less great. You know, it's, it's, it's good. So I'm just glad, like I said, I'm just glad you're on the correct side. I have, no, I have no place of disdain in my heart for the South. If the South didn't exist, you know, and the East Coast in general, we couldn't exist here. So I look at them the same way I look at Great Britain, kind of a, a proto-America, you know, kind of, a, you know, we're grateful for you and we thank them for their service. So uh, uh, that, uh, that, that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, if, that, if that's how you feel. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I'm from the South, so. Uh, um. <laughs> and, and I don't hold that against you. I treat you well, just well, like a normal well, person. <laughs> All right, all right. Enough ribbing aside. Um, I just wanted to break it, bring in some levity. Um, so what we're going to do today is this is not only going to be a pop culture podcast, but it is a, going to be a political and social science podcast. Now, before you turn that off, we think that one of the great faults that we have in our country today is that you meet people and you talk with them and you even maybe become friends with them. And there's this sort of phrase that you hear when you speak with people. It's no religion, no politics. Which is a great way of saying, I don't want to talk about anything that actually matters. <laughs> I don't want to talk about anything that correlates with my worldview. I don't want to do anything that might challenge me in any ways. And if we do talk, it will go nuclear and somebody's going to freak out. Which is really bleak. Which, I mean, that's sad, don't you think? Yeah, it, it's the default of you don't want to talk anything political or social with people. Because if you find out that you disagree with them on something... Well, that, that means you're enemies now. <laughs> like, friendship terminated. <laughs> like, you guys got to be, like, on site at this point, you know? And, and no one wants that to happen, so you just avoid the issue. Um, and we don't think that's super healthy. And you and I are on different sides of many issues. Uh, but we talk politics together. We talk current events together. And I think we can maybe, you know, model for people some ways to reach across this and, and have political discussions that don't end with, you know, like somebody flipping a table and, you know, uh, swearing <laughs> like undying hatred. It, it doesn't have to turn into like an intergenerational feud or something. You know, we can show yeah. people how to do this. 
Yeah, yeah. Why, why, yeah. It, not every conversation or any statement of belief has to end with the other person saying, why do you hate America? Or why do you hate freedom? Or do you, what, do, so you just hate the poor. Is that what I'm hearing? You know, that kind of thing. Um, we've all been subject to that before, and it's not fair. And uh, yeah, and it, this is a relatively recent phenomenon in American politics. Like, you know, we could look at the data, but, you know, back in our grandparents' time, people had friends um, across political lines all the time uh it was marrying outside of well your race or your religion that used to be the big delighting point whereas nowadays people don't really care much about those but if you marry somebody who votes for the other team that's like unforgivable that's like irreconcilable differences like you know divorce court now kind of stuff that was something that we saw in a an article that we were reading together a while ago we saw this data that showed that you know even though Americans have become so much more accepting of marrying across ethnic, religious, national origin lines. Uh, Americans are really, really resistant to marrying across political lines, which is on the one hand, it's like, okay, some of that's progress. Some of that's really good. But it's strange to see this intensification of political division. And again, we went to grad school, so y'all don't have to. Right. So one of the big things that political scientists worry about now is the fact that there used to be so much overlap between political parties and political coalitions. And now over decades, we've seen them pull further and further and further apart. So now Americans who have different political ideas, they don't talk to each other. Sometimes they don't even go to the same stores or restaurants. It can even get that divided. When we're online, we mostly talk to like-minded people who already agree with us and who aren't going to challenge us or make us experience thinky pain. Uh, and that's just not really, that's just not healthy. <laughs> it's not, it's not good for anybody. And, you know, and it's worth saying that, you know, we have those different beliefs and we think that we have something valuable to share. But Taylor, where did we meet each other? We met in the army. <laughs> yeah, we're, where you we're have battle to deal buddies. with other people. That's a real thing yeah. that people in the military say. Like, we're, this is not a joke. We're not being cute. Battle buddies is a real thing. <laughs> Zach and I are battle buddies. It is. He's my battle. Um, you're my battle. So yeah, no, it's, uh, but we met each other in one of the institutions that still exists within American society that forces people to kind of churn together. And not only does that, but provides them a common uh, allegiance in a way. Not that, you know, people you know, don't believe in the same country or whatever, but you join. And one of the first things you learn is, it don't matter what you look like and it don't matter where you came from. But, you know, if you if you you know, if you if you if you haul the stuff, if you help out other people, that's what makes you valuable. And that breaks down all sorts of barriers. And even though we have a volunteer military, I've been consistently shocked throughout my my career with the military that how actually diverse and representative in a way it is of the American public. Yeah. Maybe you've had a different experience, but I thought it was well, remarkably broad. No, absolutely. It was the same thing for me in the military. I was astonished how, you know, different parts of the country, different class backgrounds, different educational levels, different, you know, religious beliefs, different ethnic origins, all these things. Like it was an incredibly mixed up group of people. And, you know, by and large, like everybody got along pretty well and like was part of the team. Um, and, and I think like looking back at U.S. history, it's the military desegregated before civilian society desegregated. Uh, the military was pretty quick on opening up to, you know, LGBT 
relative to certain parts of society. And I think at the end of the day, it's like they, they want people who are going to be part of the team, right? And they don't really want to discriminate because <laughs> it's volunteers. If somebody shows up and they want to be part of it, it's you know tough to say no to that and just leave the vacancy. Yeah, yeah. If you meet the qualifications, you meet the qualifications, you know, and if you're willing to stand on the line, you're willing to stand on the line. That's what matters. You know, everybody, you know, you can say pretty words all you want, but, you know, if uh, if you don't, if you're willing to hold the bridge with me, brave Horatio or whatever it is, then that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, so, far, so far from a perfect institution, but it's definitely one where, you know, we encountered all kinds of different people from all different parts of the country, all different walks of life, you know, in, including each other. And now we're, you know, we're still friends doing a podcast together, like, you know, eight years later. Yeah, yeah, better part of a decade. And and I think that one thing that you get from that perspective of, you know, especially if you keep in contact with people still in the military, most of the time, you know, they can't help but be a reflection of the country from which they arise. But I think that more often than in the general public, if you talk to people in the military, if you really drill down, I think that there's a lot of people who are horrified at what they see as the polarization in our society, like that we're eating ourselves, basically. And, you know, it's interesting because they live in an environment in which it's like, hey, you know, we're here for the team, you know, America, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's still it's still a free country. You know, we have problems, but we're working on them. And then they look outside and people are like pretty much, you know, they they're talking about, you know, when the, when their side gets in, they're finally going to make the other people pay kind of thing. And it's just really dark and frightening. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I think the number of, you know, serious, responsible, smart people who are paying close attention who are like, uh, we need to be concerned about the risk of civil war. That's that's really troubling. <laughs> you know, uh, like it, yeah. it's, it's objectively it's it's a things are bad. <laughs> we kind of need everybody to walk back from the ledge a little bit. See, and I sound, I, I almost get mad at people when they say that because every time they say that, it gives power to the idea. Um, well, I, I, I almost I, I think it's to important scream. for us to not get into this thing of like, oh, well, these are problems that happen in other places and we're immune to those problems because we're America. I, I think that's it's people need to be aware that it's like we can blow this, you know, we can mess this country up pretty bad. You know, we shouldn't just assume like, you know. Oh, we're going to be fine. You know, these are issues that only afflict other people, but not us. I don't know. True. That, that's where and I that's come a fair. No, fair point. Upvote. But um, <laughs> the other part of that is that I think that people say civil war, and I hear it more and more all the time, and I just want to just throttle people when I hear it, is they don't actually think about what that means. Someone's like, whoa, you know, maybe we'll just have another civil war. And I just want to grab that person by the scruff of their neck and say, a civil war with who? Who? What, who are you going to fight? What are the sides going to look like? Okay. What, what, what Americans would you be willing to shoot? Who would be willing to shoot you kind of thing? Like, what does that actually look like? And to think about that in their heads, because I think people, they don't really understand. And I don't think they actually grapple with what a civil, a modern civil war in the 21st century in America would look like. Um, it would not look like the previous one. That's for sure. Yeah. It would not um, be a, it, a, a state versus state conflict. It, it, everything would be within cities within counties uh, you know everything like politically and socially is is across state lines rather than you know there's no sectionalism really where it would be like the north versus the south it would be within every single state there would be areas that would come down on one side or another so it would be unbelievably chaotic <laughs> and disruptive and dangerous and devastating and probably horrific for everybody in the country if something like that yeah, did happen no one would win because it's really hard to win a civil war 
frankly, because every person that gets shot is one of your countrymen. And two, uh, yeah, it would if you wanted if you wanted to find an equivalent. I think I need to look into it a little bit more, but I think the Civil War of in in Missouri would be a better microcosm of what it would look like today where the legislature would declare for one side or the other and then a huge mob of people would immediately drive them out and then there would just be gangs of partisans murdering each other for years afterwards you know just just ambushes and dragging people out of their homes and killing them and stuff like it would just be insane so anyways anytime people talk about that stuff i just want to just throttle them and just say no think about what that would actually mean think of what that would look like think of who you would be willing to kill and who would be willing to kill you because it's just it's just madness. That's what so, it means, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, the point is is that um, – and so one one way that people often divide themselves is into the right and to the left. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I, we can talk about it. It's a descendant of the French Revolution. You had the uh, – and I think – and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think if we were to pithily sum up the right and the left is that they represent – and I think uh, – what's his name? Uh, uh, you know uh, – Righteous Mind guy, John... Uh, Jonathan Haidt. Jonathan Haidt. He kind of describes the American right and the American left as kind of these primordial forces, and I think I agree with that, in that they exemplify, you know, both the... One exemplifies the force of change, and one exemplifies the force of stability. And so I think a great way to sum it up is the American left is the one saying, where do we need to go next? How do we need to change? And a lot of the times the American right is saying, what do we need to preserve and what do we need to protect as time goes on? And of course, there's difference. You have liberals that want to hearken back to us previous time. You have Reaganites that say we need to make this change the future. And But I think that those are kind of the primordial forces. One is tugging to the future and the other one is acting as a weight. And I, I personally believe you need both in order to have a happy society. If you have a society that is too conservative, it is too restrictive, then you have stagnation. You have backwardness. You have stifling um, lack of of mobility. Whereas if you have a society that's all in on change all the time, then you have uh, instability and anarchy. You have a French Revolution kind of thing. Do you think that's would you think that's fair? Yeah, I think one of the big things in how uh, political views are linked with things like personality or like pretty deep individual traits that people have is that people who fall on the left they tend to be pretty high in openness to experience. So they're the kind of people who say like, well, why not do that? You know, well, why shouldn't we give it a shot? And people who tend to be on the political right are usually more like more conventional. They're a little less like willing to go out there on something unknown or unexpected. And they're more the people who are like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So you can see how like in a, a healthy political system, you've got sort of one slice of the public that is trying to move things forward and trying to, you know, what else can we do? What are the new possibilities that are open to us? And then you have another group that says like, you know, that's sort of the reminder that if things are good now, (laughs) then you don't want to break the things that work well. But then when you have like a, a, uh, what I would say like a super unhealthy thing, like what America increasingly has is that these two groups don't interact with each other and they're not collaborating. They just are antagonistic. Yeah. Worst of all, they don't respect each other. And, you know, and, and I am our... I am our right-leaning host, and you are our left-leaning host, Indeed. and I I think that we want to demonstrate respect 
for that other side of things. So, so that's right and that's left. Um, but that's not always very useful. I don't know. There's, it's just a continuum. People say like, I'm right. And you're like, okay, well, what does that mean on a variety of subjects? And you can kind of, you know, get an idea, but there's actually a lot more nuance when you drill down to it. You know, this personally from just speaking people, but also research bears it out that these are really, um, kind of sloppy terms. If you really drill down to it, there's the online political compass that adds an additional axis. It's like, you know, individual versus collectivism, collectivism, I think, and it's like some sort of economic thing or I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. It's the, Basically, um, that, that's, uh, uh, like the libertarian political compass thing where there's, uh, yeah. economic liberty versus economic, like authoritarianism. And there's political liberty versus political authoritarianism. It's the one that, yeah, that yeah. it's like it presents, uh, I guess, like the American libertarian thing is, you know, we're for freedom and everything. And then the other options are like, what don't you like freedom in? <laughs> so, yeah, as you can tell, I'm probably I'm not a huge fan of that one, but it's out there and a lot of people know it. I'm, a, I'm I agree. I'm not a huge fan, but at least it's trying to add a little bit of complexity. Yeah, it's another what, layer. Yeah. And what so what Taylor and I figure is like, you know, again, it's, you know. Everybody hates la- everybody says don't label me and then they start they, after saying that but as an XYZ and then they speak from the authority of their labels. Um, what we think is if we're gonna have labels, let's find some more useful ones at least. So right. um, last year Pew Research came out with a political typology quiz. It's now remember Pew Research, they're the ones that do a lot of stats stuff. They're um uh, I would say pretty uh they're pretty apolitical. Yeah, they're, like, they're pretty you know, middle of the road, and they do a lot of polling. So they talk to a lot of Americans every single year, and they've got a lot of data to work from. Yeah, they just lot. This is like they're just one of the biggest um, polling research houses in the country, um, and they did a political typology quiz because what they did is after talking with a lot of Americans over time, they were able to slowly be able to group them into some more useful categories than just like I don't know. Like, you know, you are right, you are left. I think they came out with, looks like, nine different categories. Um, four on the left, four on the right, but different flavors of left and right. And then my personal favorite are the stressed sideliners, which they put right in the middle. Um, <laughs> yeah, because to be, a, like, an actual centrist right now must be unbelievably exhausting. <laughs> Those people yeah, can't be yeah. having a good time. Yeah, well, not only that, these are the people that are also, like, economically in a bad spot, and they're just like, I don't care who's in charge, I'm just trying to make rent for next week. Right. You know, that kind of thing. They're they're the people who are just, like, literally just, they're just not having a good time. Um, so, we'll include it in the liner notes, the doobly-doo, um, so that anybody can take it. It's for free, you don't have to register, whatever. And uh, it, it, I think it'll be good. I took my quiz, and I feel relatively well represented by the result would you say the same yeah i would say like as much as you know you and i both have our uh idiosyncrasies and sort of i guess oddball perspectives for you know right or for left um but i think that we both ended up in about the right spot within this typology definitely um well, actually, if you want to start off, what would you, so what happens is we have this whole spectrum, and if you want to, you could kind of look at it as far right versus far left, and then getting progressively more middly as you go towards the center. Even though, again, that's not exactly right. Yeah, um, but these are. I think when you look at these subtypes, you can tell where there are cleavages within the Republican coalitions or the Democratic coalitions, you know, on specific issues. 
You've got in the Republican camp, you've got groups that are, you know, very conservative economically or fiscally, but they're pretty open minded on things like immigration. Right. And then you've got ones who are, you know, much more open to government spending and all that, but they are strongly anti-immigration or they're maybe strongly anti-globalization. So I think that this does kind of suss out those different lines where there's ideological debates within these parties. I think that's really what's helpful about it is understanding that not everybody's in lockstep. These are all groups that sort of have different approaches they want to take. And the parties are just coalitions among them. Yeah, yeah. They're big tent parties, as we say, where like, you know, how many libertarians don't really belong in the Republican Party, but they certainly can't be in the Democratic Party? Or how many like Greens or literal socialists kind of actually don't belong in the Democratic Party, but they're, they're not Republicans, that's for sure. So there's just a lot of that going on. Um, so we highly recommend that you take it when you get the chance. You'll probably find it enjoyable. It's not too bad. Um, you know, the questions, you can always debate and quibble about, can you improve the questions? Research design is really hard, but we feel like it's it's fine. Yeah, it, it does. And it's job. only 16 questions. So it'll only take you a few minutes and then it might give you some interesting insight into where you're at and, you know, how your views match up against whatever percentage of the the voting population. So I highly uh, highly recommend it to everyone. Yeah, and speaking of matching up against the voting population, why don't we start off with you, Taylor, revealing to this group how much of an out-of-touch coastal elite you are. This is... (laughs) All right, well, yeah. (laughs) Which uh, is not true. (laughs) As Zach already let out. Yeah, I mean, it was like... (laughs) That was one of my favorite jokes was I I enlisted out of Houston and then I was training in California and it's like, you know, I'm a I'm a private first class in the army, but here I am in California. I'm a coastal elite now, you know. Um <laughs> you know, I was a PFC too and I didn't think about it that way. You're right. I, I yeah. <laughs> am I the baddie? Yeah, yeah no, I, no. I, continue, I, anyway, the joke is uh regional prejudice is stupid. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at with that. Um but okay, as, as Zach already let on, I'm uh I'm the left wing half of our uh commentary duo here um and the typology that pew came up with for the democratic coalition is of course there's a slice of the the uh true centrist chads the stress sideliners who pretty consistently vote democrat in practice uh and then there's a group called the outsider left and they're the the youngest and least politically active group in the democratic coalition (laughs) Um, but they tend to be very liberal on issues like climate and race but they are kind of unique in that they're pretty ambivalent about the Democratic Party as an organization. So this is kind of like your, your like left-wing Zoomer. You know, they're maybe like flirting with the idea of open borders and stuff like that. Uh, they, they really hate Chuck Schumer. You know, it, it's that kind of profile. They're, they're pretty young. They're not necessarily that likely to vote. Um, and they're uh, <laughs> highly open-minded and not big fans of the Democratic Party as an institution. And then you get into the Democratic mainstays, and this is uh, one of the more politically reliable groups in the Democratic coalition, but they're pretty moderate on most issues. Um, and this is actually one of the more like ethnically diverse groups in the Democratic coalition. So uh, like I recently left Texas. In Texas, the uh, Rio Grande Valley is pretty strongly Democratic. But it's a working class, overwhelmingly Latino area. Most of the voters there are going to be in this Democratic mainstays thing. They're pretty strongly connected with the Democratic Party, but their views are, you know, center left, pretty close to the American political center. Uh, And they're less likely to be highly educated, but they're more likely to be 
different ethnic or religious groups within the party. Then you get to the yeah. establishment liberals. This is the, the you know, uh, Pelosi gang, maybe the type to, you know, wear the, the pink caps or, um, you know, I don't know, have like a sassy T-shirt about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, this is kind of the, the group. <laughs> They're the ones who really like the Democratic Party as an institution. They're on board with it. They think it's the right direction. Um, they're the most optimistic group within the Democratic coalition. They're the one most likely to think that things are going okay, and they're very politically engaged. Then the last group is the progressive left, and this is like the, you know, Sanders, Warren, AOC wing of the party. Um, and what's unique about them is that they tend to be pretty young. Uh, it is an overwhelmingly white voting block. Um very young, very highly educated, and they're out of all American sort of political constituencies. They're the ones who are most comfortable with the label of socialism or democratic socialism. So yeah, anyway, no, no it was <laughs> yeah. good. I, yeah, I, yeah, you went through the whole thing. No, I'll try to do yeah. the same, but feel feel free to chime in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so there's the Democratic coalition as a snapshot, and where you sit within it, you are you're a Democrat, but that doesn't mean you're like jazzed about it. Yeah, and... I'm, I'm, I'm not super uh, enthused <laughs> about the state of the party. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm uh, in the outsider left uh, within this typology. Um, and I actually, I wouldn't say that I'm like close to the center. In a lot of ways, I think, I, you know, my ideas are probably like pretty out there. <laughs> um, but I think I, I share the um, sort of ambivalence towards the party as a whole. Um, I think it's fair to say that uh, I consider myself a bit of an outsider within the Democratic coalition. Um, and I, I'm not that young. <laughs> I'm an elder millennial, but somehow I ended up in the uh, in the Zoomer political group. Um, you know, <laughs> So You're going I don't to know. Art, you'll be able to... Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, but that's that's where I landed. <laughs> How about it's you, Zach? Okay. <laughs> yeah, millennials are just the older siblings of the Zoomers. We 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 get them. I think I choose to think they get us. We've both experienced uh, once in a lifetime uh, economic crashes like twice, and all of us are like under forty. So you know, there's some common trauma there. You, you know, and I, uh, I feel like yeah. the, the big dividing line between us and Zoomers is just that like. We remember, like, pre-War on Terror, like, pre-9-11, pre-Great Recession. Like, we're old enough to remember the 90s, you know? Yeah, I, so I, I think, think we're, not only... <laughs> we're, like, a little bit more, like, on the one hand, I think we're more like things used to be better and we can fix them again, you know? And, and then the, the Zoomers <laughs> are just like, <laughs> you know, I was born in the darkness, molded by it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I also think that we're the last, um, especially the elder millennials, are the last people on earth that remember a pre-digital world. You know? Absolutely. I remember when yeah. our I remember when our families got their first cell phones, and uh, you know I was at my grandparents' place. We all hopped in cars, and then you know drove down the street, and one car called the next car, not the driver, but you know somebody, and we were treating them like walkie-talkies, but essentially, but like. You know, that was uh, a thing. And we remember that, like, you know, dial up and stuff. I mean, some of the oldest Zoomers might have similar experiences, but by and large, it's the older boomers that are the last ones that remember a pre-digital world, a pre-Google Internet, you know, a, well, even getting Internet in your home. So yeah. anyways, I think I, that yeah, so I, it's, it's more of an option for us to like hate. 
big tech or social media because we we lived without it before <laughs> versus yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I worry that zoomers are like very domesticated <laughs> by this it's like it's hard for them to like just just say no <laughs> yeah, yeah you just say no to Facebook. instagram just say no to tiktok it's not good for you um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I, and for them, they're like, you know, you're you're asking me to amputate something. So whereas, you know, whatever, like YouTube came out when I was a senior in high school, you know, and like it used to be better cool. too. YouTube, like, like I remember when, so like, I remember pre vivo YouTube, where like what a, you, you, it didn't matter what the copyright was, <laughs> you could find it, you know, and, and yeah, it was a better time. It was a simpler yeah. time for sure. Um, so uh, moving on to the right side of the spectrum, I am ambivalent right. It is the one they kind of put the closest to the center. Uh, these are the people that are really conservative on kind of the fiscal and government things. You know, we think government's scary and, you know, we want the government to do less government things, but are more moderate on things like immigration and social issues. You know, we don't know why a lot of the other people on the right get so uppity about like, you know, people from other countries moving to our country. That's that's fine. Um, it's also the most anti-Trump of the uh, right side, which uh very well describes me. I am, I am not a big Trump fan. Um, it's also the least politically engaged of all the right sides because it's just it's it's ambivalent. Like you know, what did you describe? Like outsider left people are yeah. yeah, they're angry, ambivalent. Right, they're just sad. You know, they just. I'm I'm part of the group of people that, um, you know, five years ago, if you would have said to me. Oh, well, it was about five, six years ago, like make America great again. I would have been like, you know, same reaction as what I had to when Justin Timberlake brought sexy back because I'm old enough to remember that reference. I'm like, <laughs> wait, I was I was unaware sexy was gone. What do you mean? <laughs> like, how can you bring it back? That means it wasn't here. I, I, I felt the same way when Trump said make America great again. I was like, I, I was unaware America wasn't great. I mean, like we got problems, but like shoot, I'd take my problems over other countries' problems, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so that's, I think I'm part of that right group of people. I'm also a Utahan, which means I'm part of a very bizarre part of the uh, Republican coalition. We're the only state in the union where Clinton came in third uh, <laughs> twice. <laughs> um, and yet at the same time, back during, like, say, the Syrian um, Syrian immigration crisis, we were, it was when the Republican governors had a conference, our governor was the only one that said, oh, yeah, we'll take Syrian immigrants. It's cool. You know, whatever. Like, so, you know, or like we've been really at the forefront of things like um, immigration and LGBTQ um, and religious rights, um, you know, the Utah Compact and stuff. So I, I feel like we're um, a more uh, practical form of conservatism, but enough, yeah, enough chest beating. Well, and, and, and like, as a note on that, too, uh, there's like for me as like a lefty person, there have been some policy experiments that you guys have done in, in Utah that I think are really cool and interesting. And, you know, like, uh, I think some of the ways that like, I don't remember if it was Salt Lake itself or if it was the state of Utah, but they experimented with some things on dealing with homelessness that were actually really effective. And I, it was years ago and the data from it's fantastic. So I don't know why it hasn't been widely emulated, but and, yeah, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Like Utah is a solid red state, but I think that, um, you know, if, if you're like me <laughs> and you had formative experiences with like Alabama <laughs> as a red state, um, Utah's got a different, <laughs> a different way of doing things. It's a little bit of a different vibe. And it also makes me realize just, you know, for full disclosure, there's so much stuff that happens in the Republican party where I'm just like, what, <laughs> you know, is it's just not my experience is like, I, I spent some time 
when I was in the military down in, in, in Texas, actually. Oh, it's different here. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember just like, wow, like this, this feels different than back home. I mean, theoretically, we vote for the same people, but huh, like this is, it's, it's just, it, regionalism is, in fact, it, it is dumb when you're using it as cheap jokes like I am, but it's, it does matter when it comes to politics. Um, so after the ambivalent right, so the depressed right people, you have the populist right, um, these are the people, this is like, this is your Trump voter. Yeah, this you know, is this where is MAGA like, lives. They're, they're in the this is where MAGA part. lives and thrives. Uh, it's, it's, it, it, these are the people that are, you know, they're waiting for, for, for dark, dark MAGA to finally fix things, you know, make America great again, again. Um, this is, um, this is. <laughs> the regreatening, yeah, electric boogaloo, yeah. Um, so uh, these, they, you kind of know what they mean. Populism, as in kind of a general revolt against elites, uh, the idea of drain the swamp. Uh, corporations are out to get you. So they are different from like kind of traditional uh, conser- American conservatism, where like these are not free trade proponents. You know, these are people who are also going to be much more keen on things like Obamacare, by the way, Affordable Care Act. Um, and yeah, they, they're basically, if you want to get zoom out a little bit, these are people that have often been the losers of the last 30 years of economic change, basically. Not that they're losers, but that they have been on the losing side of a lot of the changes that have been happening. Um, lower education, uh, a lot of jobs taken away by globalization. Yeah, uh, very, very is... strong presence in, uh, in rural areas and in Rust Belt areas, right? Like these guys yes. are a big part of uh, like Trump's victory in Pennsylvania in 2016, things like that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so after the populist right, we have committed conservatives. Um, these are people who are conservative across the board. Um, unlike the populist right, they're still going to be kind of pro-NATO. This is sort of thing. Think of like the leftover cold warriors of the Republican Party, where they're still pro-NATO. They want to work with allies. Um, they still voted for Trump, but they're not usually happy about it. Um, you know, think of a lot of people your parents' age where they were like, yeah, I don't love Trump, but Hillary. And like, that's like, that's their explanation of how they voted kind of thing. Um, these are, yeah, the leftover Reaganites in a way. Yeah, and, you know, there, there I personally sort of, uh, sort of like, uh, Bush Romney kind of, if you can think about that type, you know, they're more highly educated. They're maybe a little bit more, I guess, policy oriented, uh, mm-hmm. still solidly conservative views, but not bought into the populist thing of like the Trump coalition, but also not quite as, um, I don't know. Well, you can, you can talk about the faith and flag conservatives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that committed conservatives also still have some aspirational aspects about them. Like they, they're like, Oh, you know, I have this view of how the country ought to be kind of thing instead of just, you know, not. <laughs> instead um, of just yeah, like, these the, are the, also... uh, like inchoate rage of the MAGA coalition. <laughs> Yeah, there, uh, you know, yeah, and th- there is a lot of rage to be had. Um, I just don't always find it useful. Um, so yeah, so and and if I had to say where I was ten years ago, I'd probably be in the cons- committed conservative camp, honestly. And I think I've just kind of slid over to the ambivalent right over time, especially with um, yeah, the the rise of certain political movements over the last uh, ten years okay, or so. So, so sticking so, a sticking a pin in that really quickly, would you say that that transition is more because? you think your own views have evolved or do you think it's more that like you're pretty consistent with how you were a few years ago and you just feel that you've kind of been sidelined that people Uh, like you are kind of being pushed out 
I think I was pushed out and then my views started changing a little bit. Okay. I think because well, you got to realize, so like I said, Utah, right? Clinton came in third twice. Right. Yeah. Y'all are already I'm, different. <laughs> well, and I, but I was, uh, but I was, but I was told why Clinton came in third twice growing up. I knew why he was a wicked and bad man. He had nefarious dealings with shady foreign entities. He was selling nuclear missile secrets to China. He was a lech who preyed on women and, you know, like all these kinds of, he was like, he, and he was a liar. He was a consummate liar um, and would do anything to save his own skin, all these sorts of things. And that's what I was told. I remember being a boy and having, and, and during impeachment and stuff. And like, I was told that's why Clinton is a bad man. That's why he's awful. And Hillary is too, probably. <laughs> fast forward to you 2016 know? And, and you're and, like, and, guys, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, fast forward to 2016. <laughs> it's like shady, you know, foreign <laughs> connections with nefarious uh, organizations, uh, basically brags about molesting women and stuff. He's like, oh yeah, it's awesome. You, you know, like it's like, yeah, he's like you know, all these it. sorts of things. <laughs> it's like a flat Yeah, flat. yeah. And, every, and, and, you know, and he's like, and, you know, he's like, you know, Putin good, Canada bad. We should be cozier with Russia and then put tariffs on, um, you know, Canadian goods. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> so I was, I, like I said, I was the person, I, I, I was unaware that America needed to be made great again in the most profound way possible. So I was, so I thought it was a joke and then it turned out not to be a joke. And I realized that I was in fact deeply out of touch in a way. Um, and so I started off like that and then. And then over time, I'm just watching. Um, yeah, I'm watching. I'm. I mean, come on, like we're Republicans, right? We we we're afraid that UNICEF is a communist front, you know. Like we're we're, you know, we're the ones that like you know like, you know like 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 anything you can do to spite Russia is like literally a good thing. Like if Putin said that orphanages are a great thing and we should give more money to them, I'm a, I'm I I was of the attitude that we should say no, bomb every orphanage just because he doesn't want that kind of thing, you know. And so we went from that to now the Democrats are the ones that are like we should give money to Ukrainians so that they are not like enslaved and destroyed by the Russians and a bunch of Republicans are like, I don't know, man, that kind of seems like a them problem. Like what <laughs> happened guys? Like, what do you mean? Like, like, so anyway, so that, so I was, I became deeply disillusioned with a large faction of my party, not to mention like, you know, some of the outright. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so the, it got, it got bad. And then over time, I'm just like, I don't know, man. Like, I think that we, we and we're going to talk about this and so many other things, but you know, like the Chinese talk about the three mountains, right? You're yeah. the one that taught me this, like, you know, like housing, healthcare and education. Uh, everybody knows they're broken. Everybody knows they don't work. Nobody's happy with any of them. And we all know that they're slowly dragging our country into the ground. And I'm kind of, maybe this is what makes me more of the dragged to the center is where I'm like, look, I don't even know if I care what the solution is at this point. We've got to try something, you know, wh whatever it is, what we're doing right now, it's bad and we need to do something. And I don't think I can have that conversation with a lot of my fellow conservatives because they're just too busy worrying about, I don't know, Hunter Biden's laptop or something, you know? Yeah, so I, I was, um, I was really stunned in 2016 where it was kind of like somehow uh, coal mines became like a pressing political question. And it's like, <laughs> we're in like three or four different international crises at this point. We've really got like some stuff we need to prioritize. And it's like coal, coal's being killed by natural gas, <laughs> not even by renewables. And, and yeah, I was just like, yeah. how are we like, how are we having this like imaginary subject 
drowning out like all these things that we really really need to get serious about so yeah i I totally see that like like imaginary issues are being elevated over things that we really like as a country everybody needs to find a solution for yeah and 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 that's not just to say that the american right gets distracted on dumb things oh Um, yeah i I think (laughs) uh, the american left is uh (laughs) equally bad i mean in fact uh the whole hunter biden laptop thing could be solved in one moment by president biden saying i'm not going to run for re-election which you know, hot take of the day, I think would be one of the best things he could possibly do. Yeah. Um, I, one, I, it would take actually, the wind, yeah, it would yeah. take the wind out of Trump's sales, by the way. Um, two, it would also mean that all this like political theater would be meaningless because if he's not running again, who cares? Right. And three, it would actually allow him to like, you know, kind of leave on his own terms and, you know, you know, with dignity, which is great. Um, so anyways, uh, so we've got committed conservatives who are kind of like, you know, um, kind of the leftover Reaganites, you know, people that are more policy, they're more educated, um, they're more active. And then you have the faith and flag conservatives. I heard him once described, um, I, somebody used a description of, these are the people that say, you know, freedom ain't free while loading, you know, another uh, high lead, lead point into their browning high power. You know, these are the ones that say, I'm going to uh, stand for the flag and kneel for the cross kind of thing. Yeah, they, like, these the are the people. Their, uh, their rear windshield is like the whole text of the preamble of the Constitution. <laughs> With we the people, yeah. like in the big cursive, Th- those are the guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, um, yeah, yeah, on their lift kit, uh, their their Ford Raptor with a lift kit, definitely. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, so these are staunchly conservative on like every issue. Um, they're also more. Um, they want Christianity to be more a prominent part in public life. Um, full disclosure, I I am quite Christian and I'm a card carrying kind of guy. I, I go to church on Sundays, that kind of thing. Uh, these people really want that like a lot, a lot. Um, and these are also really strong Trump backers. Uh, they're also the kind of people who often say that uh, he won two years ago. Uh, and that's, you know, like this is that group. Um, they are the oldest of all the groups that we've mentioned. Um, they are also super politically active and overwhelmingly Christian. So, uh, they're that part of, they're kind of like that super ultra religious right that was brought into the Republican coalition back in the seventies, eighties. Yeah. These are those guys. Um, so yeah, Yeah, you've got all, I think something cool that we can kind of point out here is that even within sort of like the MAGA faction of the Republican party, I think you can see a clear split between like the populist right within this typology and the faith and flag right where uh you know there's um sort of a wing that has dominionist ideas they're the people who are uh, they're practically for like a, a state religion um and those people are they love trump you know they'll say he's whatever he's king david or, or he's constantine or they come up with some biblical reference to say that he's actually not like a trash person um <laughs> but they're gonna fall under this faith and flag group they don't hold necessarily all the populist views that maybe like the rust belt trump voter tends to hold so that's that's true even even there there's like a distinction between those who are much less religious and i mean they can still be like pretty intolerant about a lot of different things um but they're less hitched to that kind of identity and they're more into like the populist i guess movement and then it seems like the faith and flag types, it's they kind of have their own vision that's more ideological, I guess we could say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and more, they maybe see more the Trump Mike Pence as a type. vessel to move that forward. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they're more of the Mike Pence type, whereas like, you know. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, Pence is definitely like a uh, deeply religious conservative type 
who is he can represent kind of that faction the faith and flag who become an integral part of the maga thing even though there's sort of like uh a worldview and aesthetic and philosophical divide between them and the more straightforward populist wing what do you think about that? definitely I, I, th- I think that's I think that's a good point to point out, and I think also like progressive left versus outsider left is another kind of maybe a corollary to that. Where yeah. like policy wise, they look really similar. Um, they probably actually agree on most things, but if you actually go towards their attitudes, there is there's a bit of difference. You know, progressive lefts are like they said they they're like, oh yeah, I'm socialist. That's hip right now. Dab dab dab. You know, TikTok dance. Um, and they they but they. They, and they have people that they actually venerate, people like Bernie Sanders, people like Elizabeth Warren. They're, you know, they're those guys, the AOCs of the world. Whereas the outsider lefts, they probably would vote the same way in most instances, but they're much more cynical. They are much yeah. more like this kind of just all blows. You know? Yeah, they're a lot more and pessimistic the Demo- about the possibility of achieving what they think should be done through the Democratic Party or even like through just our institutions in general. Versus progressive left, they tend to be a little bit more energized. That's why they're they're so politically active, right? Is because they think they can get what they want within the system if they just organize enough and turn enough people out. Outsider left is yeah, much more uh, much more cynical, skeptical. Yes. we'll say skeptical. Skeptical is a good word. Uh, so so we spent a lot of time talking about these different categories. We've kind of outed ourselves. We've kind of given. Um, we, you know, we're kind of put ourselves on the map and so that people know going forward, if they listen to this podcast, kind of getting a general idea of who we are. And of course, you know, more stories come out, you know, maybe we have guests, whatever you can, uh, things will evolve over time. But now you kind of know where we stand and why we think we have something to offer is because we, we both come from different sides of the fence. Um, but, you know, it's more complicated than that. Um, so what we're thinking now is that one thing that we should do is not only take a, you know, fancy fancy test and get a nice little readout and say oh i'm in this category that's great um is that we should probably all see to go beyond right and left because one it's not always useful and two that'll help us actually get i think a better feel for who we are as people and who how we can relate to others so um we're gonna actually ask a question or two here real fast of the kinds of things that you may want to ask yourself you know instead of saying oh i'm a righty or i'm a lefty well what's another question you can ask um First one being, and we, we kind of vetted these questions before, is what is the good life? You know, what does it mean to have a good life? What does that person's life look like? And kind of how do we create a society in which as many people as possible can have this good life? Um, you know, we talk about this in anthropology. We talk about this in political science a lot. Um, and I think it's a useful question to ask, especially when you're engaging in political discussions. So, Taylor, what does the good life look like? So th- this is a really important question. I, I, I think we both really wanted to highlight this one because in today's political environment, there's so much of a push to just look at uh, whatever issue or topic is in the news that week and pick a side. You know, there are two sides <laughs> and you need to pick one right now and then you just need to tell everybody which side you came down on. And there's not a lot of room made for thinking about like, what do I think society should really be like? What, what do I think is the point of, you know, of political activity or, or whatever else. Like, what is the good life that we're trying to achieve for myself and that I'm trying to help other people achieve? So for me personally, I think that 
the good life is is really the same thing that it's always been. I think that people really get like the most meaning and satisfaction out of spending time with their family and their friends, out of having, you know, close, meaningful relationships, uh, out of uh, pursuing their interests or hobbies or learning about things they care about or developing their skills and all these kinds of things. And I basically think that politics and the economy and all these things are just support systems for people to do this stuff that, that actually makes life rich and rewarding. So when I'm thinking about political questions, really I'm thinking about like, does this create space for as many people as possible to do these things, to enjoy like these kind of, you know, deep human things that really matter? Or is it just like, you know, am I scoring points on like the partisan board or whatever? Or is this just moving the ball towards whatever other issue I'm not thinking that far down the line? Uh, Zach, what, what, what do you think on this question? I think we might have some overlap. I, I, I think there's an incredible amount of overlap. I, I agree. Um, you know, I was thinking, uh, I've thought about this issue a lot, um, both, both with and against my will. And uh, one of the things, one of the great truths that I learned young, uh, as a younger guy, um, taught by my dad pointed this out, actually, to me, was that, you know, if you could somehow walk into a room and snap your fingers and have three people appear in front of you, I'll, I'll just, you know, a, a random Roman, you know, a, a random, I don't know, a Mongolian tribesman, uh, you know, a, a random person from the West Kingdoms of Africa at their height, uh, a random Mesoamerican, and you could somehow all talk with them and somehow, you know, just have a nice normal discussion with each one if you actually got down to uh, talking about anything of substance, you know, politics, religion, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's against the um, rules. You, you can't do it, <laughs> which is against the rules. So teleportation all, and all that. Like, that, oh, that's I the can't. most unrealistic <laughs> yeah. part of all, not the, not the time and yeah, space, not the communication. Five strangers. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Do you want to get knifed? Uh, yeah. Is that they, if you ask them really, uh, what would be the most important things in their lives? They'd probably all say pretty much the same thing. Oh, I worry about my family, you know, I worry about my parents or my spouse or my children, or I don't have a spouse and that bums me out or my children, you know, don't want to talk with me because, you know, I was maybe hard on them or they're just stupid and they're ungrateful or whatever, <laughs> you know, like you'd have like the first thing would probably be family. The second thing would probably be something more uh, economic, like I worry about having enough food for the winter. I worry that I made a business deal and it's going to go sour. You know, I, I worry about prosperity and the ability to actually provide for myself and for others. And the third thing would very likely be something associated with dignity. It would be something like, I want to be viewed as a good part of my community for people to respect me for 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 my for my for to have some sort of standing where i am you know not everybody right. needs to be a king not everybody needs to be a lord but everybody wants to feel like somebody in their sphere you know and i think that that's one of the great profound truths is that people don't change and ultimately their their needs don't change and if they were easy to meet well we would have done it a long time ago you know yeah. there's a lot going on there um but that yeah so when I think of what the good life is, it is a life where um, people have dignity, people have time to work, where it's not just the necessity. People do far more than surviving. They live. You know, They are able to not only pursue interests, but spend time and have meaningful relationship with those around them. You know, um, And in addition to that... I, I think that every kind and this is a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm hopping a little bit forward. I think that the concept of property, 
is important and that everybody having the ability to own something and have ownership and feeling like they have things that have, they have accreted and that they'll be able to pass on to their children is important. Now, whether this looks like land, whether this looks like, you know, uh, an object or whatever, but just the, the idea that everybody has a chance to get some stuff because we live in a base material world, admittedly. And I, we're talking a lot about more ethereal stuff when it comes down to it. We live in a place and, you know, there's sunlight and entropy and, you know, you know, rain and stuff. And so yeah, everybody having a the, little uh, piece the, of this. The Maslow's hierarchy, right? Like everyone has yeah. physical needs that need to be met before anything else can really be advanced. Exactly. And so I think, so for instance, I'm deeply worried about our turn towards a completely digital world where you don't actually own anything. You just kind of have a license to use a lot of stuff. And that, you know, like it's just everything is basically... Uh, financially you're just walking around and you're just attaching more and more hoses <laughs> yeah. to yourself basically hey, so, so th like this is um, you know i'm trying to remember who said this but you remember there was there was something some silicon valley thing where the line was you won't own anything and you'll be happy and you'll and like, love like it or okay pitchfork time pitchfork time burn it down yeah yeah silicon and i'm just like done. and i'm like you know <laughs> that's a wrap press x to <laughs> Yeah, press X to doubt. The only people that say that kind of thing are the people that are going to own stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know? like, They're going to own a... all the stuff, and then we're going to pay them a monthly subscription to use it, and they'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that's so. There's which is again a source of my evolving views, where I'm just like, hmm, digital, yeah, digital bill of rights, maybe. You know, like I'm curious into the idea. Like, yeah, I don't know. There's stuff like that going on. So, I guess the good life is, yeah. And you and you and and the and the fair listener could say, you know, okay, talking head hosts. So you just want people to have nice stuff. Well, what does that look like policy wise? That's that that's just like a banal platitude. You know, any politician could say that. And my response would be to, would be to that of, well, that's why Taylor and I sometimes disagree. We agree that we both want good things for people. We just don't always agree on the right way to do it. And that's why politics exists, or at least should exist, right? Right. You and, know? and that's exactly why, like, asking sort of these deeper questions is so valuable, because we know that we kind of we kind of want the same end state. Like, we, we kind of both recognize the same things as ultimately important for people. And then we can talk about, like, how to achieve that. And understand that if we have disagreements on that, it's not like, you know, you, you don't. <laughs> why do you hate America? <laughs> and yeah, why do you hate poor people? And, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, exactly. We can get it like we're, we're, we want to work towards certain similar things and we just have different ideas how to get there. And you can have a, a productive discussion about like, oh, well, why, maybe there's something to this. Maybe this has a, uh, a knock on effect that you haven't considered yet. You know, that's the value of it. Right. Okay. So um, I think, you know, we're trying to, okay, here's another one. Is there such a thing as group rights and how does that jive with individual rights? This is, I think, a big one. This I think that most one. of, I think a lot of the, the differences in our society are actually about this question right now. If you really drill down to it, you know? Yeah. So I think this is going to be like a, a recurring topic. I think as we get into some of the, um, Maybe some of the theories that we're interested in or, or some great books that we've read and we kind of talk more on some of these issues. This is going to be a, a subject, I think, that comes up frequently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, for instance, I am very skeptical of the concept of group rights. I think that it, it fosters division. I think that a lot of the worst atrocities in human history have come about because people started getting categorized into depersonalizing groups and then saying, this is your group. That group is bad. 
let us oppose them. You know, I think that as an individual, I think that individual rights matter because frankly, we're only, we're individuals are one of the few things that we actually kind of know exist. You know, when you look at the categories that people put themselves into, that's just the thing. They usually put themselves into it and, you know, we change, you know, (laughs) census categories have changed over the last 100 years. You know, what is, who is part of what group? It changes a lot, which is not to say it's not real, but it is to say that it's not (laughs) an objective, eternal. Don't even get me started on like how, how little sense uh, a lot of our like census designations make. (laughs) Like that's the whole thing. Like they're, they're pretty arbitrary. (laughs) So when people start talking things like, oh, we should, do this we should have a scholarship for this kind of person or we should have reparations for that kind of person i'm like dude do you even we're not even sure that like that kind of thing exists or if it'll exist 20 years from now you know so i think i i am extremely skeptical of focusing on group rights i'm i'm skeptical of that because i i think when you start focusing on group rights there must by natural consequence be group wrongs and those wrongs you know, how do you, how do you fix that? You know, how do you undo, you know, injustice from another generation? I, I don't know. I think that, so I'm, I'm really skeptical of that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm pretty sure to, you kind of come down on uh, m- much more on the other side of this. Would you say so? So I would say that I think that a notion that groups, that you should consider outcomes for a group rather than only look at the individual. I think if you only look at individual options or individual outcomes, you're really missing most of the picture. It's like a forest for the trees thing. But I think that your point that sometimes you create these groups and then it, it's going to turn into one group targeting or oppressing another group and these kinds of things, uh, I think that's a very valid point. And I think that actually when a lot of these categorizations and stuff were being created, it was actually like, for the purposes of discrimination. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it, yeah, when we the, talk the, about, like, like uh, I don't know, like, racial census categories and stuff, those things weren't, like, invented for, like, social justice purposes. You know, they were invented, like, for discrimination purposes. And then we've tried to repurpose them for social justice purposes, and uh, I'm not sure it necessarily works out well. I think there's a—we'll we'll probably have, like, an entire discussion about, like, the— uh, university admissions kind of thing because i I, you and i like have both thought quite a bit about the subject and have something to add on it yeah there's a lot to be said on it but yeah i would say that there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it and i think that if uh these groups that are recognized as having rights are not constructed in reasonable ways i think they have a lot of negative effects and i think we have a tendency to create groups and just like pigeonhole everybody into it whether it's actually where they would like to be or not <laughs> and that doesn't do anybody any favors yeah fair so, enough yeah i would See say in... like in principle i think that it's it's important to consider group rights in various cases but it's also important to ensure that those groups are uh constructed in the right way uh and they often aren't in practice fair enough yeah and maybe maybe a lot of my criticisms are more about the implementation than the concept itself i i I don't think I'm willing to go that far, but I'm willing to at least go halfway. Yeah, I'm Um, sure we'll we'll explore this further. Very much so. And so here's a final question for, um, in what ways should our country engage with the world? This is a big one, you know, because we love to talk about internal stuff. And as Americans, 
we know that there's our country and then everything beyond it is like a, a gray filmy mist. Like we know there's stuff out there and we occasionally see shapes <laughs> yeah, moving. We are famously like, bad at geography. <laughs> this yeah, is a real thing. Yeah. That's why, uh, most, what's the saying? God invented war so Americans would learn geography. <laughs> yeah, like, I think I that's think, Mark Twain, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it's it's kind of for real. And so but as but at the same time, over the last 100 years, we have been thrust front and center. What how would you sum up what you believe America's role is towards the world? So I would In say the um uh the the Spider-Man thing with great power comes great responsibility, right? <laughs> so the the thing is that America is a massive slice of world economic productivity, world wealth, world, world military power. Um we just we've got a lot of bulk. So whatever we do, it's gonna impact the rest of the planet. If we're really engaged, that's gonna have consequences for people. If we go back into our our guys, I guess time-honored tradition of isolationism we don't care what happens to you guys until it becomes a major crisis then that's also going to have effects so we i I don't think we have a choice of like oh we're just going to mind our own business because of how big we are and how integrated we are with everyone else um that being said i do think we could uh focus on a collaborative approach to doing things rather than um okay i think like the iraq war was kind of a case where we decided we were doing something and hey, if you're with us, then great. And if you're not with us, uh, well, they're not French fries anymore. They're freedom fries, like that kind of energy. <laughs> I remember <laughs> and, and, that. <laughs> yeah. And, man, looking back, like that was so petty. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like we were really, man. But okay, so that's an example of like what I think we absolutely should not do. I think it's important that America plays the role of like, yeah, we're very powerful, but we, we're going to exercise restraint. We want to have buy-in. We want to be a good team player. And we want other people to step up and take up responsibilities in areas where they can. Um, so in that, I probably differ from some people on the left are would sort of basically feel that our, our influence everywhere is pretty much always negative. <laughs> and they're like, the best thing we can do for anybody is just like leave them alone. <laughs> Um, and then I think uh, particularly on like the right or libertarian side, there's the attitude of like, we don't care. <laughs> like, we just want to do our own thing, like ignore them. Um, I don't think either is a realistic <laughs> or productive way to view the world. Yeah, no. And, and I would say I largely agree with everything you said. We are the 800 pound gorilla in the room. You know, when America sneezes, the world gets a cold. Um, and that's just how it is. Uh, I, but I think that I do believe in the promise that is America. You know, I do think that at our best, we are that shining city on the hill, you know, um, and that as much as it's fun to self-flagellate as many people our age do and to talk about how wicked we are as a people and how everything we touch just turns to garbage. Um, I think that's really unfair. And I think that's also really short-sighted. I think that the sad truth, Max Boot, he's a neocon, so you know, take this for what you will. One of his books, which I highly recommend, Savage Wars of Peace, um, in which his general thesis is like American isolationism, lols. We've been meddling in other countries since the very founding. Um, but one of the phrases he says is something along the lines of, you know, at times it appears the only thing worse than American involvement is American absence, you know, in a lot of these places. And I know there's notable exceptions to the contrary, but I think largely that's true. I think that we are a net force for good in the world and that we have something to offer and that we are an empire. Um, We didn't mean to be, but we sure turned into one. But that as far as empires go in the world, we are 
frankly, the most inclusive, the most humane, and the most restrained of all empires that have ever existed. I, I struggle to think of another example. Um, and you could say, Bazak, look at all the awful things. And I said, I stand by what I said. <laughs> the yeah. most humane, the most restrained, the most... We have the decency to feel bad about the bad things we do, yeah. which I think sets us apart from a lot of other countries. You know, like we actually feel shame and want to do better and sometimes even do do better you know so um i think our role is to accept the fact that we're big we can't hide from responsibility and if we're not in charge or at least not taking a big active role in shaping the way the world works um somebody else will and chances are it's not going to be a nice country you know um so we have to do that we have to work with allies you know Mattis said it best, you know, countries with allies prosper, those without them wither. You know, we we built one of the things that made the American empire so powerful in the 20th century is the fact that we built a system that people actually wanted to be a part of. You know, so many countries literally bought in because it was a good gig. You know, our 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 yoke was easy and our burden was light, as it were, <laughs> you know, um, so I think that we need to lean into that. And that's why I, I'm, I go insane when I hear, you know, Americans talking about how we need to just get out of NATO or whatever. I'm like, you mean like the most successful, you know, alliance in all of recorded history? Like, are you insane? Yeah, um, it's like, are we just yeah, going to go back to having like another European war every 20 years? Because that's like, yeah, yeah, that's like yeah. how it was. <laughs> Actually, 20 years, that was like a, that was like a step yeah. forward from when it was just like constant skirmishing, like every, you know, every summer. <laughs> <laughs> for the, yeah, exactly. For two thousand years, right? Like, yeah, uh, that, that's one of the things. Even as like a lefty person, who I see a lot of things that we can do better, that I feel that we really strongly should do better. Having some historical perspective on it really reminds you that like we're already kind of we're out there at the limit of like what's been done in the past. That's not a reason not to think about what's possible in the future and not to keep pushing for things. But it's like you really don't have to go back very far at all <laughs> to find no. a time when there were countries that were comparably powerful and did way more bad stuff like constantly <laughs> yeah know? like, like uh, all the time yeah, not not to absolve the u.s of responsibility from anything but just like in in comparative terms this is still not a this is not a bad time to be around you know in many 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 measures it used no, to be worse I, is what i'm saying I, Definitely. And maybe this is uh, maybe this is just my, you know, American conservatism and patriotism coming through. But I think I look at the Amer I look at our country and our history the same way that I don't know, some people like look at their parents, you know, like th there's that moment that a lot of people have when they're growing up. And when they all of a sudden realize, oh, my gosh, my parents are just like people, you know, like they're just like people and they're just doing stuff and they don't actually like know what's going on. Not really. I mean, they know more than I do, but like in the grand scheme of things, not that much. I know when I had that moment, in a way it humanized them more. I didn't I don't think I actually respected them less. In a way I kind of respected them more because I'm like, oh my gosh, they're just like flawed people who are just, you know, doing the best they can. And you know, more often than not, they do they do well. They they do pretty good, you know. And that was kind of my attitude towards my parents. I don't know. Maybe you had a similar experience at some point. I kind of look at American history the same way, where you're like, you know, we have not always lived up to our aspirations um, at all. But at least we had aspirations that we were willing to live up to. We did not always deal with minorities or with indigenous people 
the way we were supposed to at all. We don't, we still don't always measure up. Definitely. But gosh, again, at least we have the decency to feel bad about it and to talk about what we need to do better. You know, like there's, I just, I kind of have that general feeling towards our country of like, look, at least we set our aim high and we didn't reach it. But man, most other countries don't even get that far, you know, much less ones that are as rich and powerful as we are, you know? So I don't know. I guess that's like, what, what, yeah, what, what final closing thoughts do you have on that, Taylor? Well, I think that we've given everybody a good introduction to the kinds of questions that we like to discuss together, things that we'll probably bring out into further episodes on the podcast. I think these are all things that people can take and reflect on a bit and maybe get a little more perspective on what they think is important politically or where their own views fall. Uh, and, I, you know, now that we've really gotten the important stuff out of the way and everybody knows what we think about, like, the Rings of Power TV show, now we can talk about frivolous <laughs> stuff like politics, you know. And, we, <laughs> you know, people know people know what we think about Tolkien, and that's what really matters, you know. And this political stuff just isn't that big of a deal. So, you know, just some lighthearted fun for everybody. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully you find what we've said somewhat compelling. Hopefully you relate to one, if not both of us, and we can have some fun discussions together. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for, uh, you know, going out on a limb. Please take the quiz when you get a chance and see what kind of fun discussions that sparks for you and those around you. And we can't wait to hear from you next time here on Angry Upvote. Yep. And our hiatus has concluded, so we should be back next week as well with a new episode. Ooh. I wonder what it'll be. Talk to you next time.